Good morning. So I'm going to make an apology to you right up front this morning. I didn't know until I was just about getting ready to preach last night that uh, Pastor Mitch was going to lean over and say, we're going to do a little going away for the armor cost tomorrow. I thought that was last weekend. And uh, then he said, I'd like you to pray. It's part of that. And uh, we, uh, we support the armor cost. I told Brother armor cost last summer, maybe last spring. I said, uh, if, if you are going to the mission field, I said, we may support you. I said, if you come to our church, I promise to support you. <laughs> and I said, no, I'll take that back. If you have a busy schedule, we will support you anyways. And uh, if, if I can just say this quickly about Brother Armacost, and I have said this to many people, I have never met a more consistently kind and gracious man. And if there's, there's many things you can glean from his life, but if we just had more gracious people in fundamentalism, I think God would be well pleased. And Mrs. Armacost, what a dear servant to be willing to say goodbye to her family, her homeland, and go to a foreign country, getting ready to learn a new language. Um, I don't know that I would have wanted to learn a new language 30 years ago, let alone at my age now. And uh, praise the Lord. And I'll say one last thing. Don't ever forget this. God calls his finest servants to the mission field. I'm not just saying that because we just sent the armor costs away. Being a pastor now for almost 28 years, I've watched missionaries come and go over the years. And there's been many occasions I've said, God, America needs those people. We could use those people right here in our country. And God has reminded me on so many occasions that his finest servants, many times he calls to the mission. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Judges chapter 13. I, I got up this morning and I said, God, whatever you want me to preach on this morning, it's up to you. I, I, I did ask God before I came, <clears throat> excuse me, good to have my wife Tim here, by the way. I've got to run her back to Grand Rapids this afternoon, so she won't be back with me for the rest of the week. But uh, I'm glad she could be here this morning and last night. And uh, I said, Lord, I've got to preach five messages in three days, two and a half days, however you want to figure it. And I said, God, I'll, I'll take, you know, my whole litany of messages if you want, and I'll take notebooks of messages, but if you could just give me five messages so at least I can just kind of hone in on those, that would be a help. And I, I felt over the last couple of weeks that God had put those messages together for me, and I've, I've kind of got them lined up in, in order of sequence that I thought God would have me to preach, and so far we're on track from last night and this morning. And I got up this morning, and I said, Holy Spirit, you have full reign to change anything you want to change. And he didn't not, he not only changed my message, he enlarged my message that I was planning on preaching this morning. So if you leave this chapel message and say, Pastor Earl, you were so off-key, so off-base. It should have been a missions emphasis. It should have been something about a missions challenge or surrender your life to God, whatever the case may be. If I totally missed the mark, I'm going to hit the one that I think God wants me to shoot at. So I've only got one message. I've, I've come to a pulpit before with three messages before. On one occasion, I think I preached all three, and my church people would agree with that. <laughs> they don't measure my messages by the clock in, in Sheridan. They measure them by the calendar. And uh, when, when I get up and I just preach one message, they're usually pretty happy about that. In fact, this last Sunday, I was planning on preaching a short one, and I, I went a little bit longer and uh, have a gentleman that was on oxygen, and he was pushing his little walker out. His name is Clarence Kellogg, one of the sweetest men you'll ever meet. He's in his 80s. He shouldn't even be in church. He shouldn't even leave his chair. But he said, if I can get through my, out of my trailer, Pastor Crow, and get down my deck, I'm coming to church. 
So he came to church, and, and, and another guy that watches our door, his name's Dave, and, and Dave Sharp was staying there. And he said, he said, Clarence, I have one question for you. He said, did Pastor Curl cause you to run out of oxygen this morning? And Clarence said, almost, Dave, almost. He said, There's just, it's still in the green section. He said, I've got a little bit left. And his wife was looking at him like, you don't know how close that oxygen is to running out. And uh, so if anybody's on oxygen this morning, you can leave at any particular time. Don't stay. If I run too late, I've been told I can go to 1230. And I said, no, no, I'll be done by 1215. So did you find Judges chapter 3? Whoa, whoa. Okay. Maybe, okay. Maybe I can raise this hand. Okay. Judges chapter 13. I'm going to read two strange verses to begin my message. So if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 24 and 25. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at time in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. Heavenly Father, help us this morning. God, our hearts are in, in varied places this morning. And I have known the Armacost for many years, but not near as well as these people in this room this morning. But God, I pray for the next few moments that you would just allow our hearts to be focused on your word, what you have for us. Bless the Armacost, give them safety as they're traveling to Chicago. Bless their day with their family. Give them safety as they travel and be with them in their ministry. And God, I pray that the ministry of Fairhaven Baptist Church and Baptist College would continue to move on, having been better for the influence of the Armacost for these many, many years. God bless our time together this morning. Thank you for these precious college students and church folk and staff members. God bless them in a special way. God, I'm just the messenger boy this morning, but I believe you've given me a message. Give me the, the ability and the, the words to say this morning, and may we give you all the honor, all the glory, because it's not about us, but it is all about you. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question real quick. So uh, anybody here have heard the story of Samson before? Raise your hand. Okay, good. You guys could probably tell the story better than I could. So when you, when you hear the name Samson, the Bible character Samson, what comes to mind? Just raise your hand. What comes to mind? Sir? Say it again. Strongest man. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I, thought, I, okay, I saw you move. saw you flinch there for a minute. Yes, Titus? Delilah. Delilah. Okay, very good. Long hair? Nazarite vial? Eyes taken out. Eyes taken out? Yeah, we had a guy in chapel a couple weeks ago, came to our, our Christian school, and uh, he, uh, he's big on object lessons. I'm not, but uh, this guy is, and so he brought a, um, a jawbone. Was that, he told me that he got it off of Amazon, it was a jawbone of a bison, but he was letting it represent the jawbone of a donkey, and he, and he drilled a hole in it, and then he had a squirt gun. <laughs> you remember when, when, when God revived his spirit? You know, and, now, now, this is the crazy thing. He just killed a 1,000 Philistines with that jawbone, Right? A, a thousand. I could not imagine what the blood, the guts, maybe some eyeballs are hanging off this jawbone. Now all of a sudden, God makes a water fountain out of it. I could think of a hundred things I'd rather drink out of than something I just killed a thousand people with. But this pastor took it, this jawbone and he drilled a hole in it and he had this squirt gun and he started squirting it at the kids. And you got to know the elementary kids ate it up. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, get me, get me, get me, you know. And I, if I'd have known how to sat in the splash zone this morning, you know what I'm saying? And he's going around screwing everybody, and uh, it, was, it was just kind of funny. But <clears throat> Anybody else? What do you think when you think of Samson? Yes, ma'am. The pillars, yes. Last act of his life. I was reading commentary, and this was kind of cute. He said, I don't consider that an act of suicide. I consider it the last act that he did for God. Okay, that's good. 
I mean, he did commit suicide, but I mean, it, it, it was an act for God, and God strengthened him one last time. Um, anybody else? One more. Yes, ma'am. He was selfish. Wow, you guys, you guys couldn't have answered those questions better than if I would have given you a piece of paper. So I want to give you five quick lessons on the life of Samson. I had three as of last night when I went to bed at 1230. And I got up at 530 this morning. I think it was the college boys praying above us or something. And uh, I got up at 530 this morning. And uh, I, I said, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to preach these three. And he said, no, I'm going to give you two more. And so I, I went from three to five. So I've got to get, go through this quickly. Let me see where I'm supposed to start here. Make sure that we're on the right page. So let me start in chapter 14 and verse 6. The Bible says, in the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Verse 19, the Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In chapter 15 and verse number, um, where's that last one at? Give me just a second. Verse number 14, the Bible says, um, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. <coughs> Three times the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, you understand, and I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but you understand in the Old Testament, the saints weren't indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God like we are in the New Testament time. So the Holy Spirit would come on men, and then he, he might leave and come back on. It had nothing to do with their salvation. It was just part of the, the power and, and, and presence of God in their life. And so on several different occasions, the power of God and the, the, the presence of God came on him. And I'll be honest with you, if, if Samson would have walked through these doors this morning, or if Samson was sitting in here this morning, I don't think you could pick him out and say, there he is. There's the strongest man that ever, I don't think you'd pick him out. I think he was of average stature. I think he was of average build. I'm not saying he was like me, maybe more like Titus Ramus or maybe like Gideon Ramus. I went up to Gideon last night and I, I grabbed him right here and I said, oh my, I thought, he, I thought he had something there and it was just his arm. And I said, oh my goodness. And uh, so I'm not saying that he was necessarily chiseled like that. I think he was just of, of normal stature. I think when you would see Samson, it wasn't Samson that drew you to the feats that he did. Somebody said there was a God that gave him the ability to do that. But I want to read chapter 16, verse 1. There, then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot, went in unto her, verse 4, and it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Pastor Crow, what are you saying this morning? Here's lesson number one. Strengths in one area of our life do not offset weaknesses in other areas of our life. Can I say that again? Strengths in one area of our life do not offset weaknesses in other areas of our life. When the power of God came upon Samson, he was invincible. He was unstoppable. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I'd want to do hand-to-hand -hand combat with one Philistine, let alone a thousand. I mean, were these guys just waiting in line to be the next victim? I'm thinking they probably tried to surround him. They probably tried to gang up on him. I could see maybe guys jumping on his back and guys grabbing his legs and maybe, maybe somebody grabbing his long hair and trying to jerk him this way. And somehow, some way, none of them were effective. None of them were successful. He killed 1,000 of them. Not with a Uzi, not with a machine gun, not with an AR-15, with a jawbone of a donkey. And we can look at the strengths, that, 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 the feats that he accomplished because of the strength that God gave him. But here's what's sad. The strengths that Samson had did not offset the weaknesses in his life. I want to be kind to you this morning, but can I say this? Every person in this auditorium this morning has weaknesses. 
And if we're not careful, here's what we're tended to do. We have a tendency to focus on our strength and ignore our weakness. Can I say this? I think that's nothing more than just a, a device of the devil. As, as I'm saying before you today, I have weaknesses. In fact, if you had time to talk to my wife, she could probably give you a long list of them. And if you had time to talk to God, he could give you even more. And you know what God has taught me in the ministry? Kevin Crowell, you better never look at your strength and say, oh, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this. He said, you better focus just as quickly on your weaknesses because just because you're strong in this area does not offset your weakness in this area. I've had people say, you know, I think God has a merit-demerit system as long as my good always my bad. No, no, God doesn't have a merit-demerit system. God has one system. It's God's way, not our way, not man's way. We're not trying to come to God on our terms. We're trying to come to God and serve God on his terms. And what Samson didn't realize until it was too late, that strengths in one area of his life didn't offset the weaknesses in others. And I'll quickly say two things. Number one, please recognize your weaknesses. Don't cover them. Don't conceal them. Don't hide them. Don't pretend they don't exist. Recognize them and then do this. Request God's help. Paul said in Romans 7, 18, he said, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You know what Paul was willing to do? He was willing to recognize his weaknesses. In verse 24, he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he said this, verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Not only did Paul recognize his weaknesses, but he was willing to request God's help to offset those weaknesses. Number two, oh, where are we going to turn this time? Let's go back to chapter 14 and verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Chapter 15 and verse 14. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Please don't miss this next thought. Just because God used Samson powerfully doesn't mean that Samson was right with God personally. Can I say that again? Just because God used Samson powerfully doesn't mean that Samson was right with God personally. In Romans chapter 11, verse 29, the Bible says, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. My, my, my rendition of that, my commentary on that is this. When God gifts a man, when God calls a man, when God gives a man a spiritual gift, whether it's teaching, whether it's preaching, whether it's ministering, whether it's serving, whatever that particular gift may be, I believe when God gifts a man, he doesn't retract it. And you say, Pastor Carl, then why is it that, that, that I hear some men that, that, that have such a gift, but then they, they sometimes just kind of crash and burn and disqualify themselves from ministry? I think this is the answer. If we're not careful, here's what happens. We focus more on the spiritual gift than the spirituality. Do you know what Samson forgot to realize? That his walk with God was far more important than his work for God. But what, what Samson forgot to realize is his spirituality was far more important than his spiritual gift. And one of the things that God has been teaching me is don't ever focus on a gift that you've been given. You better focus on your spirituality. I'm absolutely convinced that when you see a man preach, when you hear someone teach, when you hear or see somebody minister, what you're seeing is not their spirituality. You're seeing their spiritual gift. God sees their spirituality. Now, should our spiritual gift, should it be a reflection of our spirituality? Absolutely. But not always the case. 
Every Sunday morning, I have a prayer list that I pray for preachers. And in the upper right-hand corner, I have a list of men who are no longer in the ministry. All of them I've known personally. Almost all of them have preached for me at least one time in the last 28 years. And these men are not in ministry anymore. And I, I, I look at that list and I say to myself, Dear God, may I never focus more on the spiritual gift that you've given me than the spirituality that I need to produce between me and you. Can I say this? What God sees is far more important than what people see. See, I think, I think when the Spirit of God came on Samson, I think he began to think, I'm invincible. I think he began to think, I'm unsurmountable. I think he came to think, there's nobody that can take me. Hey, I just took a thousand men at one time. There is no way that anybody can stop me. I'm unstoppable. And the problem was, is he focused on his spiritual gift rather than his spirituality. I was at a preacher's meeting several years ago, and there was a gentleman who had been in the ministry for 29 years. He pastored in the state of Michigan for about 14 or 15 years and pastored in Georgia for about 14 years, two large churches at one time. He had the largest church in the state of Michigan. And I'd heard the guy preach. He came to our church when I was in Indiana many years ago. And uh, I I, I knew this guy. I I, I knew him fairly well. And I I said to myself, I want to go hear this man give his testimony. I I knew he had left the ministry and I I wasn't sure what happened. And he got it before these preachers and he gave us testimony. He said, preachers, I'm here to tell you that I'm no longer in the ministry because of some wrongs that I've done. And he said, I want to try to save some of your ministries this morning. And he said, here's what I did. He said, uh, I got so enamored with my ability to preach. He said, I could study for 10 minutes and preach for 10 hours. Preaching was so easy for me. I could, I could preach and I could make people cry. I could make people weep. I could give an altar invitation and people would just flock to the altar. And he said, I was so amazed on what I had the ability to do that I was no longer trusting in God. And he said, hey, preachers, Don't ever put more focus on your spiritual gift than your spirituality. And I believe that's part of what led to Samson's downfall. Number three. I'll look at chapter 16 and verse 20, if you would. And she said, this is Delilah, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wished not that the Lord was departed from him. Can I give you a, a good lesson from Samson's life? He didn't realize that God's spirit was gone now. I, I think his the sign of his spirituality, the, the sign of his spiritual gift, if you will, was part of his long hair. Somebody mentioned they, they think of the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow included three things. Number one, there was no haircut. Number two, he could not come at a dead body. And number three, he was not to eat grapes, either moist or dried, and was not to drink anything of the vine. And so here's Samson, and he, he told Delilah, he said, well, if you tie me up with seven green whisks that have never been dried, he said, I'll be like any other man. And then he said, well, if you tie my, my, my arms up with new ropes, he said, I'll be as any other man. And then he said, if you weave the seven locks of my hair, I'll be like any other man. And every time she did and said, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee, he got up as if it was absolutely nothing, and it was nothing. Oh, but then she began to cry, and she said, Samson, you're lying to me. Why won't you just tell me everything? Why won't you be honest with me? And he finally said, okay, if you cut my hair, I'll lose my strength and be like any other man. So she called a barber in. He cut his hair. She wakes him up, said, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. And he said, oh, I'll just go out like every other time before. You know what I think part of his downfall was? 
was his pride. He said, I will go out as at other times before. He got so enamored with his abilities and his talent and his strength that came on him when, when the Holy Spirit of God came upon him that he said, if I could use today's vernacular, I've got this. I can do this. So I've got hair all over me. I can just shake it off and, and, and they can't do anything to me. I'm Samson. But his pride led to his downfall. And I think there was one other thing that led to Samson's downfall. Not only his pride, but the fact that he was so focused on pleasing himself. In chapter 16, well, not chapter 16, excuse me, chapter 14 and verse number 3. At the end of this verse, the Bible says, And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Verse 7, And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. I think not only pride, but I think the desire to please himself led to Samson's downfall. And young people, can I say this? Those two things can lead to our downfall just as well. We can, we can point our finger at, at Samson, but can I say this? Do you know how easy it is to get lifted up with pride? Think that maybe we're just a little bit better, just a little bit smarter, just a little bit more spiritual, just a little bit more talented, just a little bit more gifted, just a little bit better basketball player, just a little bit better volleyball player, just a little bit better bus captain, just a little bit better bus worker. And we can put all these accolades on ourselves, but all it's doing is, is leading us in the wrong direction because it's pride. And then if we begin this, 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 this horrible journey of trying to please ourselves, Paul said that we ought to be pleasing him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Paul said our desire and goal in this life ought not to be to please ourselves; it ought to be to please God. And can I say this? If we please God, I'm convinced that those that ought to be pleased with us will be pleased with us. If we make our focus, I just want to live a life to please God, I promise those that, that ought to be in favor with us will be in favor with us. And I promise God will take care of all of our issues, our enemies, our adversaries. If we made our focus, I just want to please and honor God. And here was this man, Samson, even when his hair was cut, said, I've got this. I can go and shake myself as other times. And the problem was there was so much pride and desire to please himself that eventually cost him far more than he ever realized. Number four. Now, this is interesting. Nobody mentioned this. Look at chapter 15 and verse 20. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines. How long? 20 years. So I asked you a few minutes ago what uh, comes to mind when you think about Samson. Somebody said, Delilah. Somebody said his eyes. Somebody said his strength. Somebody said his long hair. Somebody said his Nazarite vow. But nobody said, Pastor Girl, he, he judged Israel for 20 years. Nobody else said, hey, Pastor Girl, God put him in Hebrews chapter 11 and the great faith chapter where God only listed 16 people by name individually, 14 men and two ladies, Sarah being one of the ladies, Rahab being the other lady. And of the 14 men that God mentioned by name, Samson was one of those. Nobody said, Pastor Kroll, he's in Hebrews 11. Nobody said, hey, Pastor Kroll, he judged Israel for 20 years. Pastor Kroll, why is that? 
I wrote this down this morning. Because years of faithfulness can almost be forgotten because of a moment of foolishness. Can I say that again? Because years of faithfulness can almost be forgotten because of a moment of foolishness. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I think of Samson, the first thing I think of is not Hebrews 11. If you were to ask me and, and, and say, Pastor Crow, what do you think of Samson? The first thing I'm going to say is probably not that he judged Israel for 20 years. But can I say this? That's, that's two decades. How many in here are, are 20 years or younger? Would you raise your hand? Wow. That's longer than y'all have been alive. I mean, the Bible talks about his problems and his failures. Hold on more than it talks about his successes. It gives just a little, little sentence right there. Oh, and by the way, he judged Israel for 20 years. Why, Pastor Carl? Because so easily years of faithfulness can be forgotten in just a moment of foolishness. Young people, it takes years to build a testimony, moments to destroy one. My last thought. Go to chapter 14 and verse 6, if you would. I think that's the right verse. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he ran him as he would have run a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Verse 9. He took the herb in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and gave them, and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. You know what's interesting? In those two verses, the Bible said that Solomon didn't tell his parents that he killed this lion. And Solomon didn't tell his parents that he took the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Maybe because that would have violated his Nazarite vow because he was not to come at a dead body. And maybe because the angel told his mother that she was not to eat anything that was unclean. But I want to take a little different spin on that thought. Can I say it this way? Samson didn't tell his mom and dad what he had done. Mark it down, young people. When you have to hide secrets from your parents, something's wrong. Can I say that again? When you start hiding secrets from your mom and dad, something's wrong. Let's mark it down. We have kids say that hide their music and hide their social media platforms and hide friendships and hide cell phones and hide this and hide that. And, and, and believe me, I, I, I've pastored a church long enough. I've had a Christian school long enough, had a youth group long enough. I, I've seen kids hide things that I never thought would ever be possible. And I always go back to that thought. When you stop, start hiding things from mom and dad, mark it down. Something's wrong. Boy, if there's two people that you ought to have clear communications with, a clear conscience with, it ought to be your mom and dad. Samson said, they don't need to know. He just started his ministry, if you will, and it seems to me he already violated his Nazarite vow. Something that was special separated him to God. He treated it as if it was it's no big deal at all. But it was a big deal. 
And I wonder how different Samson's life would have been if he would have had just a little bit better communication and a little bit closer relationship with his mom and dad. My dad died almost 28 years ago. When I was growing up, my dad was a, was a wonderful dad. But he was one of those kind of guys that uh, just was a man of few words, didn't, didn't talk a lot. He preached, but just didn't, didn't talk a whole lot. And so growing up, I was, I was closer to my mom. I don't know what happened with the role reversal, but as soon as I went to Bible college, it wasn't my mom I wanted to talk to. It was my dad. If I had a question about a job, if I had a question about a bill, if I had a question about a class, you know, I could talk to my mom, and I, I love my mom, but there was just something I, I, just, I just needed to talk to dad. And I would call home, and I'd say, Mom, is, is dad there? And she'd say, no, he's, he's out making a visit. And I'd say, okay, can, can, can I, when do you think he'd be home? I need to talk to him. And she's like, well, you got me. Well, I know, Mom, and I love you, and, you know, we're all good, but when's Dad coming home? And she's like, no, what, what's all this about? There was something that changed in my heart when I went to Bible college, and, and God just put a, a love and a need there for my dad, and I'm so glad that every time I reached out to my dad, he was there. And the relationship that wasn't close in high school, I mean, he was there. He was at every basketball game I was at, every softball game I ever played. I mean, he was always there. But we just, we weren't the ones that sit there and and converse and have long conversations. That was my mom. My mom was the talker in the family. But when I got to Bible college, something changed. And it seemed as if the Holy Spirit said, don't forget the importance of your dad. For the last 28 years, I'd have given my left arm for just one more conversation with my dad. When we first got married, Tammy would come to our house and my parents' house and she would sit there with my dad and she would fire one Bible question after another, after another, after another. And Tammy, did he have answers or did he have answers? I don't know of a man alive that knew his Bible better than my dad. And the older I got, can I say this? The more I came to appreciate that. You got mom and dad here today? Mom and dad still alive today? You better love them while you can. Seven years ago, we buried my mother-in-law. Almost two years ago, I buried my father-in-law. Those two people meant more than the world to my wife. She'd give anything to pick up her phone today and call Papa one more time. She'd give anything to get on the phone one more time and talk to her mother. And sometimes we think it's just so cool to play our games and hide things from mom and dad. I promise you, there's nobody alive on this earth that loves you more than your parents love you. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Samson got out on his own. He said, you know what? I'm not even going to tell my mom and dad this. They don't need to know. Oh, you know the old saying? What they don't know won't hurt them. Oh, no, can I say this? What they don't know when they find it out, it's going to hurt them more than you ever realize. One more time. Pastor Carl, what can you learn from the life of Samson? Strengths in one area. Don't offset weaknesses in another. Just because God used Samson powerfully doesn't mean that he was right with God personally. Samson didn't even know when the Lord had departed from him. Years of faithfulness can almost be forgotten because of a moment of foolishness. And when you're hiding things from your parents, something's wrong. Heavenly Father, help us today. God bless these young people. God, there's, there's more potential in this room than we could probably ever realize. Precious lives. Precious opportunities lie in front of these young people. God, may, may we not make some of the same mistakes that Samson did, 
And God, I'm convinced you put them in your word to remind us. You put them in your word to warn us. And God, I pray that you would work in the hearts of these young people. God, I thank you for their attentiveness this morning. I thank you that they're in a Christian school, they're in a Bible college, they're, they're wanting to prepare their lives to serve you. God, use them in a way that would bring all the honor and glory to you. But while we're going through that journey, remind us of men like Samson. Teach us some things that'll help us not only today, but in the days and months and years to come. Bless the invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.